0: Our scripture reading is from John chapter 12, verses 12 through 16. Now, let me read those verses, and you can follow along as I read. The Apostle John writes, The next day the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Blessed is the King of Israel! Jesus found a young donkey, and sat on it, as it is written, Do not be afraid, daughter Zion, see your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. Let's pray and ask God to bless as we look into his word. Lord, we do give glory to your name uh, today. Lord, there is... No other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. So, Lord, help us to be reminded today of why we're here. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the shed blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses us from all of our sin, that gives us the assurance of a home in heaven, gives us peace with God, that gives us forgiveness. Thank you that you forgive us and remove our sins as far as the east is from the west. And Lord, we pray that you would now open up our hearts and minds to your word today. Uh, Lord, may the Spirit of God be our teacher. May we not just gain information, but may we be transformed because we've heard your word. And we want to then be um, people who not just hear it, but put it into practice. So... uh Show us today what we need to do. Lord, we pray for our country today. We pray for our nation. We pray for uh, President Biden, Vice President Harris. Lord, we pray for our Governor Whitmer. We pray for our local leaders, Lord. May they seek your guidance. May they seek your wisdom as they lead us. Lord, um, bless us today now. Thank you for this privilege to be here in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, we've been uh, journeying through the minor prophets and uh, have looked at two of the twelve. And um, we're not going to look at all twelve, so we've looked at Habakkuk and Haggai. But I thought we'd take a little break from that and uh, think about journey with Jesus. And when I think about journeying with Jesus, I'm referring to the last week of Jesus' life. And so for the Sundays leading up to Resurrection Sunday, uh, April 9th, about four or five weeks from now, I want us to look at what was Jesus experiencing that last week of his life? What was Jesus last week like before he went to the cross on that good Friday? And so last week we started to look at John chapter 12. And when you look at the Gospel of John, 21 chapters, almost half of the book covers the last week of Jesus' life. And so when I got into this, I discovered I should have started this series a lot earlier. (laughs) Because there's a lot of material here, and we're just going to have to like uh, kind of go over the uh, bird's-eye view. Uh, So last week, we looked at John chapter 12 and the first few verses, where the, the context there was that. About a month earlier, Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead. And as far as the religious leaders was concerned, that was the last straw. That miracle was the last miracle, and they said from that day on, they plotted how they were going to kill Jesus. And so Jesus, after that, goes 20 miles north And he ends up in a a city there for about a month, but then he comes back down to Bethany, which is two miles outside of Jerusalem. He's been invited to a dinner party by Simon the leper. We speculated that maybe it was to thank Jesus for healing Simon. And there at that dinner party, something dramatic happened. Mary took some perfume, 12 ounces of perfume, very, very expensive perfume, worth a year's salary. <laughs> we figured out about four thousand dollars an ounce. And she breaks that box open of perfume, and she anoints the feet of Jesus, and 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 washes his feet with her hair. And the disciples are indignant, especially Judas. So we read the, the the text, and they're like, "What a waste!" That money that could have been sold, and that money could have been given to the poor. And the scriptures give us insight into why they said that, why Judas said that, because he was uh, ciphering funds out of the money bag. And Jesus said, "Leave her alone. She's done this because she loves me. And the poor you'll have always with me, but I'm not going to be here for very much longer," which was reality. And so that was that was on um, that was on Saturday. Now in our text, we're going to look at the next day, Sunday. And uh, so we're going to start out in John 12, but then we're going to spend most of our time in Luke chapter 19. And so let's look at the the setting, Uh, John chapter 12, verse 12, the next day. So right after that anointing by Mary, that was Saturday. Now this is Sunday, Palm Sunday, the very next day. The great crowd that had come to the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. So what's going on here? This is Passover. Uh, the Jews had seven feasts that they observed. You can read about them in Leviticus chapter 23. On three of those festivals, they were required to go to Jerusalem. And so now the city of Jerusalem is filled with people for the Passover celebration, In fact, uh, Josephus, who's a Jewish historian, uh, when John just says a great crowd, but this is what Josephus says, the historian Josephus writes, on Passover, the population of Jerusalem swelled to more than 2 million people. So so picture in your mind crowds of people. Picture uh, Times Square on New Year's Eve. Picture the city of New Orleans on a Mardi Gras celebration. There's 2 2 million people that have come to Jerusalem. Crowds are overflowing the city. That's the setting. And now we're going to look at Luke chapter 19 to continue our storyline because Luke gives us some some details that aren't found in, in John chapter 12. So let's think about the sending, the sending Uh, This is Luke chapter 19, and uh, here's what Dr. Luke writes. As he, Jesus, approached Bethphage and Bethany, that's right close to Jerusalem, at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord needs it. That's interesting. So Jesus and his disciples are approaching Bethany and Bethphage, which is this little village right close to Jerusalem. And he says, there's a young colt at a house there. I sent, he sends two of the disciples. He says, go get that young donkey. If anybody asks why, say, the Lord needs it. Now, was this some sort of veiled miracle, uh, or did Jesus just prearrange this and talk to these people and arrange for him to have this colt? We don't know. The Bible doesn't say. But the disciples go there, and that's exactly what happens. They show up. um, As they were untying the colt, its owners, this is Luke 19.33, asked, why are you untying the colt? They replied, the Lord needs it. And so they bring this young donkey to Jesus. The sending of the two disciples to get the young, young donkey. And when we think about <clears throat> the big picture, that was the fulfillment of prophecy. About 500 years earlier, here's what the prophet Zechariah writes in Zechariah 9 Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And so in fulfillment of scripture, of what the prophet Zechariah had written and said, the king is going to present himself to Jerusalem, but he's going to be riding on a donkey. Now that's a little unusual, isn't it? When you think of kings, you think of kings riding on horses or riding on chariots. Jesus chooses a donkey. It's a symbol of humility. <clears throat> Pastor and author Ray Pritchard writes this about Jesus' appearance on a donkey. Nothing would have seemed more unlikely than for a king to come riding on a donkey. Jesus could have hardly have chosen a more unlikely way to present himself to the nations. If scripture had not predicted it, no one would have dreamed it up. That explains why the Romans sat idly by on Palm Sunday while tens of thousands flocked to Jesus. From their point of view, the whole thing was a joke. A king on a donkey? You must be kidding. No self-respecting king would be caught dead on a donkey. If you wanted to make an impact, you would come on horses or surrounded by soldiers or mounted on a chariot, but a donkey, no way. It's not hard to imagine the Romans laughing as they watched a pauper king riding on a borrowed donkey, his saddle a makeshift layer of cloaks attended by an unlikely mob-waving palm branches And so here comes Jesus in fulfillment of prophecy. And he's riding from um, Bethany into Jerusalem. He's riding on a donkey. And now we read about the salutations, the salutations. This is Luke 19.35. Uh, They brought the donkey to Jesus and threw their cloaks on the colt and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road, kind of like, a red carpet arrival, or taking their outer garments off and, and putting it on the road as Jesus follows along on the, on the donkey. When he came near the place where the road leads goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest, and so here they are shouting praises to the King that's riding on a donkey. This story is found in in all four Gospels, and uh, let me, let me just read from <clears throat> Matthew chapter twenty one, uh, Matthew's account of uh, Palm Sunday and Jesus Jesus entry. As the crowds went ahead of him, and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. The word Hosanna means literally, save us, save us. And as Jesus rides that donkey into Jerusalem, thousands of crowds, uh, people line the street. They're waving palm branches and they're putting their cloaks down in front of them and they're yelling and shouting, save us, Hosanna. Now I wonder what was going through the minds of the majority of those people. I think unfortunately for the majority of them, they were looking for a savior from what? Roman oppression. They were under the thumb of the Roman government, and they were looking for someone to deliver them from that. Uh, one of the the parallel passages in um, this story, when it comes to uh, recounting the story and and what uh, I think it's in, in Matthew, the account in Matthew in Matthew twenty one ten, when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, "Who is this?" The crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. They're saying, well, he's a prophet. Remember in Matthew chapter 16 earlier when Jesus was in Caesarea Philippi, he says, who do people say that I am? And the disciples said, well, some say you're John the Baptist. Some say you're a prophet. And then he asked Peter, who do you say that I am? And Peter gave the right answer. You're the son, the Savior, the son of the living God. And so I'm not sure the crowds of people really understood who Jesus was. But they're shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, save us. There's a fascinating next portion of Scripture here in our outline from Luke chapter 19. <clears throat> the setting, the sending, the salutations. Is now uh, let's look at the stones. This is fascinating, the stones. Luke 19 Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Rebuke your disciples. In other words, tell them to be quiet. The religious elite, the leaders of that day, did not like the public praise of Jesus. And so they tell Jesus... Tell your disciples to be quiet. In one sense, not much has changed in 2,000 years. In our culture today, um, it's kind of acceptable to believe what you think is truth. Just don't bring it into the public arena. J- just, just, don't bring it into a public setting. You can believe whatever you want. Just keep it to yourself. That's what our culture tells us. So you can't really have the Ten Commandments up in a school. You can't really, uh, you know, have a nativity a nativity scene uh, in, a, in a public place because that's pushing what you believe on other people. Can't really pray in school. You can believe whatever you want. Just keep it to yourself. And someone has said that those that have that mindset are not going to be happy until the only religious expression that's allowed is what you think in your mind. You can believe whatever you want, just keep it to yourself. And so that's what the Pharisees were saying. Tell them to be quiet. We don't like the public praise of Jesus. I love Jesus' response. Look at it in verse forty. I tell you," he replied. "If they keep quiet," Jesus said, "the stones will cry out. If people don't praise me, <laughs> I'm going to make these rocks cry out and give praise to me. <laughs> tell them to be quiet." Jesus no. Was was Jesus bluffing? I, I don't think he was bluffing. If you read through the Bible. Um, He made some very unusual things happen, didn't he? In Numbers chapter 22, there was a fellow by the name of Balaam who had a donkey, and the donkey was talking to Balaam. He made the donkey talk. Uh, Mark chapter 4, I believe it is, the disciples are in the boat and there's a storm on the Sea of Galilee and they're afraid they're going to die and Jesus is sleeping and they wake up Jesus and they say, Master, don't you care that we're going to die? Jesus says, oh, you have a little faith. And he stands up and he says to the the wind and the waves, peace be still. And that storm stopped immediately. Jesus said, if the people don't praise me, I'm going to make the rocks cry out and praise me. He could have made that donkey talk as well if he wanted to. And so the the, the Pharisees were, were saying, tell him to be quiet. And Jesus said, no, the stones will cry out if they don't. Well, this passage closes uh, as we think about our outline about, uh, let's think about the sorrow of Jesus, the sorrow of Jesus. And this is in Luke chapter 19, beginning in verse 41. As Jesus approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it. There's three times in the New Testament where it records Jesus crying. Now, maybe he cried more than that. But in the Bible, there's three occasions where Jesus cried. Some of us were here. Last night, we watched a great movie called Life Mark by the Kendrick Brothers, and a very emotional, moving movie. Glad the lights were out. I saw a few guys like um, sniffling a little bit, and afterwards I talked to several of them, and one fellow said to me, well, I, I cried once. I said, well, I, I probably cried like a half a dozen times. And that moving... Uh, story of, of life, Mark. Well, Jesus cried three times in the New Testament. If you think uh, about the Gospel of John, you know one of them, John eleven thirty five, The shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. He's crying at the tomb of Lazarus, his good friend, even though he knew what he was going to do. Second time that uh, it's recorded that uh, Jesus cried, beside this occasion where he's weeping over Jerusalem, is in the Garden of Gethsemane. In Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7, the author of Hebrews writes, Jesus offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears. Jesus is weeping in the Garden of Gethsemane as he faces the cross. And here's the, the, the third occasion Jesus is crying over Jerusalem. I don't know what makes you cry. I like the saying, and I think this is, this is good, someone said, don't cry over anything that can't cry over you. Uh, I think that's good. Possessions... Things that we own can be replaced, but people can't. And how many times have you seen on the news uh, someone being interviewed and a, a tornado or a hurricane or some other natural catastrophe has happened and they've lost everything. What are they saying? Hey, we are so grateful that what? We are alive because things can be replaced. And here's Jesus and he's weeping over a city. He's weeping over the city of Jerusalem. Let's continue to read the text. It says that Jesus wept over Jerusalem. And he said, if you, even you, had only known on this day, what would bring you peace? But now it is hidden from your eyes. So here's Jesus, uh, Isaiah 9, 6, the Prince of Peace. Peace. He's been working miracles for three years and the people have, for the most part, what? Totally rejected him. He says, I came to bring peace. And you haven't accepted peace. And then he says, the days will come when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground You and the children within your walls, they will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. So Jesus is crying over Jerusalem, number one, because they rejected him. But the second reason that Jesus is crying over Jerusalem is because the words that he spoke in verses 43 and 44 are prophetic. Jesus knows what's in the future for Jerusalem. And what was in the future for Jerusalem? Well, history tells us that about 35 years after Jesus spoke these words, in the year 66 AD, the Jews revolted against Roman control. Three years later, Titus, the son of Emperor Vespian, was sent to Jerusalem to crush the rebellion. Roman soldiers attacked Jerusalem, broke through the northern wall, but still could not take the city. Finally, they lead siege to Jerusalem in 70 AD. They were able to enter the severely weakened city and they burned it to the ground. And 600,000 Jews were killed during Titus' onslaught of Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Jesus is weeping because he knows what those people are facing. No wonder Jesus wept. Well, that's the story of Palm Sunday and five days before Jesus goes to the cross. And this morning you want to think about, before we observe the Lord's table together, uh, some life lessons, three life lessons from This story here in John chapter 12 and Luke chapter 19. Here is, uh, here's the first one. The first life lesson is this. Our greatest need in life is for a savior. Our greatest need in life is for a savior. The thousands of people that lined that pathway from Bethany to Jerusalem were crying out, Hosanna, 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 save us, save us, save us. Most of them were thinking about political deliverance, saving them from Roman oppression. And their need was really for what? A spiritual Savior. Their need was for Jesus to be their sin-bearing savior. And so the greatest need in life is for a savior, for, for the understanding the, the good news of the gospel. And to understand the good news of the gospel, the first thing that we need to understand is what? The bad news. The bad news. The bad news is that we're all sinners. On this past Wednesday in our a wanna teaching time and i have the privilege to share with some of the kids that are there i i taught them and went over the romans road the romans road the romans road is simply from the the book of romans how to lead someone to christ um and and i don't know if you've ever been in in teaching times especially with with kids and uh Uh, After that lesson, uh, I kind of was like, man, I I don't think that went over very well. Uh, I didn't sense that maybe the kids were listening, and I I just sensed like like that didn't get through to anybody. After Alana was over, And we had these little handout papers that we gave to him. Our eight-year-old grandson, Luke, and his mom picked him up. He goes, Mom, Mom, I've got the Romans Road. I've got the Romans Road. And he says, I'm going to fold that up, and I'm going to take it to school, and I'm going to put it in my blue folder. He was all excited about the Romans Road. Romans 3.10, there's none righteous, no, not one. Romans 3:23 for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans 6:23 for the wages of sin is death but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans chapter 5 verse 8 but God commends his love toward us and that while we are yet sinners Christ died for us. Romans chapter 10 verses 9 and 10 if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord so what were the people in the Roman Empire required to say? <laughs> they were required to say, who's lord? Caesar is lord. <laughs> and if you didn't acknowledge Caesar is lord, you're in big trouble. And Paul writes, "No, you have to declare that Jesus is lord." So if you declare that Jesus is lord with your mouth and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Greatest need for our lives and everyone that we come across is for a savior. That's the greatest need. So as we think about uh, coming up to Resurrection Sunday, let me ask you a question. Who is it in your sphere of influence, family, friends, co-workers, neighbors that needs to hear the good news of the gospel? that their greatest need is to come to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Secondly, here's the second life lesson. Jesus is Lord over all of creation. Jesus is Lord over all of creation. Get this from Luke 19.40 where where Jesus said, if people don't praise me, I'm going to make the rocks cry out and praise me. We sing the chorus, he's Lord, he's Lord. He's risen from the dead, he's Lord. Every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And so all of creation, mankind and ultimately all of creation will have to recognize that Jesus is Lord. And Romans 8 says, all of creation is groaning and waiting for that what day of redemption when Christ not only redeems us as people, but he redeems all of creation. There's not going to be any more curse. In the millennial kingdom, what? The lion and the lamb are going to lay down together because life is going to be totally transformed to pre fall. And so, Jesus is Lord over all of creation. I love Colossians chapter 1, verses 16 and 17 for in him all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things consist. He is Lord of all creation. He's Lord of all creation. In Psalm 119, 164 it says, Seven times a day I will praise you. Our greatest need is for a Savior. Last, secondly, Jesus is Lord over all of creation. But here's our third and last life lesson is this. The future judgment that is coming should motivate us to share the gospel. The future judgment that is coming should motivate us to share the gospel. And so we said, why was Jesus weeping when he when he rode that donkey into Jerusalem because uh, present-day uh, people in Jerusalem had rejected him, but he also knew of a day coming in about uh, one generation where the city of Jerusalem would be destroyed and hundreds of thousands of people would lose their life. Well, the Bible talks about a future judgment that's coming. If you read the, the book of Revelation, there's a series of judgments unlike the world has ever seen. That's not just going to be localized in one city. It's going to be worldwide. The book of Revelation talks about the seal judgments, the trumpet judgments, and the bowl judgments as God's wrath is going to be poured out on planet Earth. Let me just read a couple of verses from Revelation chapter 16 verses 1 through 4 and just to give you a little feel of what the book of Revelation says, says is coming down the road. This is Revelation 16.1, then I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, go pour out the seven bowls of God's wrath on the earth. And the first angel went and poured out his bowl on the land and ugly festering sores broke out on the people who had the mark of the beast and worshiped his image The second angel poured out his bowl on the sea and it turned into blood like that of a dead person and every living thing in the sea died. The third angel poured out his bowl on the rivers and springs of water and they became blood. Verses 8 and 9, the fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun and the sun was allowed to scorch people with fire. They were seared by the intense heat and they curse the name of God, who had control over these plagues, but they refuse to repent and glorify Him. That's just a little snapshot in a few of the judgments that God's going to bring eventually on planet Earth. And when he comes again in Revelation chapter 19, the second coming of Christ guess what? He's not riding a donkey riding a white horse revelation nineteen eleven. i saw heaven standing open and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called faithful and true and with justice he judges and he wages war the first time he comes as the prince of peace and to offer salvation the second time he comes as the judge And James says in, I think it's James chapter 5, the judge is standing at the door. And so just like Jesus is weeping over Jerusalem, we need to realize that there is a time that is coming prophetically when God's wrath is going to be poured out. And how should that impact us? Well, that should impact us, as our point says, to what? To, To tell others about Christ and about the good news. When Paul writes in 2 Corinthians five eleven about sharing Christ, he, he cites two motivations. He says, the love of Christ constrains me to share the good news. But in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 11, he says, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Knowing that God's going to someday judge this world and it's going to be horrific we persuade men to come to Christ. And so what are our three life lessons? Well, our greatest need for life in life is a savior. I hope you know him today. And to recognize that Jesus is just, is Lord over all of creation. He deserves our praise and to recognize there's a future judgment day coming and we need to be ready and we need to share the good news. And this morning we have the privilege of uh, observing the, the bread and the cup and um, giving thanks to God for sending Jesus to deliver us, what? From the wrath of God. If you know him, you're not going to have to experience that wrath because of what Jesus has done. Let's uh, Let's pray together, shall we? Lord as we journey with you through the last uh, week of your life here on planet earth Lord we uh, we simply want to say thank you and praise you for who you are Lord perhaps as the crowds were yelling hosanna hosanna save us they perhaps didn't fully understand but Lord um, on on this side of the cross we we thank you that you are our savior Thank you that you went and did for us what we could never do for ourselves. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but it's through your mercy and grace that you save us. And so, Lord, as we spend just a few minutes um, remembering and reflecting on what you've done for us, Lord, I pray that it will be a significant, meaningful time in our lives. And Lord, we pray that you would help us to... Uh, not just to be content to know that we've got our, our ticket to heaven through Jesus. Lord, may you show us and give us the boldness to share this good news with those that we come into contact with in the days and weeks and months to come. We'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.